Well, we're glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. It took a little while to scrape the ice off the windshields, didn't it, this morning? But uh, you made it, and, and we made it, and uh, it's, it's, it's great to be here together. There are a lot of things to celebrate, and we look forward to sharing more of those things with you in the next, in the next couple of weeks. One is the translation uh, a possibility for uh, the scriptures into a Nepali, Tibetan language, actually, that will uh, further help people to be able to see with clarity uh, the beauty of who God is and his grace uh, towards us. And so we have a guy coming, a friend of some of us, Bakash, uh, from Kathmandu, uh, in uh, an actually just a few weeks now. Anyway, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in everyone's life. I think that's what the holidays do to us. And on New Year's, morning, on New Year's Eve, uh, the 31st Wednesday, at 8 o'clock at night, uh, my daughter and I have trying to figure out a way to get her car to the college that she's going to so she can have it there. The problem with the college she's going to is it's clear across the country in Seattle. And, uh, and on New Year's Eve night, we were, I was just at a loss as to what to do. And I said, you know what, I might try to drive it there. And she said, let's go together and let's go right now. And so by 9.30 in the evening, Wednesday night, we were in a 2003 Honda Civic headed towards Denver, Cheyenne, Salt Lake, Boise, and uh, got there early Friday morning and uh, helped her kind of get into her dorm, or where, where she's staying, an apartment there, and got on a plane and flew back home. It was like just crazy to do that. But what a fun thing to be able to do uh, with my daughter along the way. So anyway, I, I hope, you're, I hope you're, your life is as event-filled as that uh, because those are really are wonderful times. So well, let's, spend, let's uh, pray as we look at God's Word. Lord, this is a cool time for us as we, as we uh, kick off a brand new year and as we kick off a brand new truth that we believe you've called us to look at and to learn from and to apply to our lives. So, Lord, help us as we, as we integrate your word and, and what you want to say to us practically into our lives. In, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it is 2015. I have a friend of mine who recently uh, turned 60 years old. Did I mention he's an old, old friend of mine who just turned 60? And he said, you know, it's so interesting to turn 60 because it's, it's odd. You know, you go from one day to another, but it felt like 60. What am I going to do with my life? in new ways, to just really evaluate things that way. And I've been thinking about that as well, too. I think we all are, don't we? When a new year turns over and it's 2015, you know, what are we going to do? And it's wise to take time to do that. Uh, in the wisdom literature, we read this word, teach us, this prayer to the Lord, teach us to number our days. So there's value in us figuring out who are we and where are we headed? What does it look like for us to live life in a wise way as we move forward. And so that's what we want to do. And uh, we're doing it well. The rest of the world is. On, on the plane back, I picked up a USA Today. And on the front page of USA Today, there was this uh, you know, little graph there of resolutions broken. Adults who say these resolutions are hard to keep. 86% of the people believe that it's hard to keep a resolution to lose 30 pounds. Aren't you just surprised that it's only 86%? <laughs> I mean, like, come on. And uh, go to the gym three times a week. Well, I know about that one. You know, 68%. Stop eating dessert, 66%. Save 10% of pay each month. 54% of the people say it's hard to keep those resolutions. And some of us have come to the point where you say, resolutions, 
just not even going to do it anymore, right? I mean, it is just so discouraging. I've just given up on resolutions. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that. My resolution is to have no resolutions or, or something like that. But I want to encourage you to consider resolution, actually, that I think it's possible to accomplish. And I hope it will be possible to accomplish because of the way we've um, put together our calendar and our events and our priorities for the next couple of months here at, at Hillcrest. And, and here's what it is. It actually comes from a verse right in the middle of the text we're going to be spending time on for the next eight weeks. In Philippians chapter 1, it's a prayer. It's a prayer of Paul for the Philippians and, and for all of God's people. It's, it's for us as we read this. And, and look in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. That's it. Able to discern what is best. Six words, right there in the middle of the prayer. How about that for a New Year's resolution? I resolve to be able to discern what is best. Doesn't that sound good to you? You're wondering about that relationship and whether you ought to invest in it or not. Wouldn't you like to be able to discern what is best? It's a job that's really difficult for you. We were talking about this last week, and you just say, I don't know what it means. I don't know the difference between making a living and living a life. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to discern what is best? You've got a limited amount of resources and of time. Wouldn't it be nice if you were able to discern what is best? Some of you might be considering relocation or whatever it is. I've talked to a couple families and they're, 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 they've got to move uh, uh, ahead of them. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to discern what is best? That, that person that you feel like you really have got to say something to and you're not sure whether you should open your mouth and blurt it out or whether you should keep it quiet. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to discern what is best. This is Paul's prayer for us. This is God's invitation to us to actually give us this. How would you like the ability to discern in all kinds of circumstances what is best? It seems like we're just so overwhelmed with knowledge and understanding. You've seen, you've seen perhaps the graphs of how knowledge and information has just, has just escalated in our, in our culture. And I don't remember what the numbers are, but you know, the, amount, the doubling of knowledge would take like 100 years in the past. They say, they say today now, with all of the technology we have, we're at about a cycle of doubling knowledge every 12 months. So if you're saying, I need a little bit more information in order to figure out what to do, guess what? It's hopeless. It is. And in the midst of that, wouldn't it be nice to be able to discern what is best? So we're going to spend eight weeks on this theme rooted in Paul's prayer in Philippians chapter 1. It begins in verse 3 through verse 11, and I would actually encourage you to memorize it. Uh, we're going to look at as many of the dimensions of what's being said there as we possibly can uh, in our time together here on Sunday mornings. For the first four weeks, we're going to talk about the four essential decisions that one has to make in order to get to discernment. And there are four decisions that need to be made. More than that, but we're going to isolate four and pay attention to those. And four essential means or tools that one can use 
for discernment along the way. And so we're going to do that together in this place, and we're going to invite you in a small group context, some of you on Sunday mornings, some of you during the course of the week, to be able to get together with some other people and wrestle with some questions and some challenges and some invitations to step into some spiritual disciplines that are really remarkable tools, necessary tools to help us in this whole process of discernment, and we want, we want you to do it together. So we have questions, we have scripture passages to work through for you to be together. We want to go all after this because we want as a congregation, as a church congregation, to be able to discern what is best. And we're in that process. Who are we as a a church family and where are we headed? We've been doing some hard work on that. Uh, And we're going to bring you into that in in just a few weeks because the next step of it is for us to do it, to do some of that work together, but it's critical that we not only do it as a church family, but that we learn to do it as individuals as well. That's why we're looking at this theme during this time. Discernment can be defined a number of ways in a book that we've been spending some time in as a church staff and leadership by Ruth Haley Barton called Pursuing God's Will Together. Uh, She describes discernment as this way. Discernment in a most general sense is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and the activity of God, both in ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of our lives. The Apostle Paul says that we are, be, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern what the will of God is. Discernment literally means to separate, to discriminate, to determine, to decide or distinguish between two things. Spiritual discernment is the ability to distinguish or discriminate between good, that which is of God and draws us closer to God, and evil, that which is not of God and draws us away from God. There's a difference between discernment and decision-making. Decision-making has its limits. We make decisions. Discernment is different than that. Discernment is given to us. It's something that's given to us. What a rich gift to be given discernment for the issues in our life. Isn't that what you want? Well, that's discernment's definition. The importance of it is where I want us to be this morning. And I'm going to say something that we all know, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is why discernment is important. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority. You may want to note that. That's what we're talking about. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority. We all know this. Paul reminds us of it in the context of discernment. By the time we get to verse 10, he's talking about discernment and this ability to discern what is best, but it's all rooted in or prefaced by the way he starts this letter to the Philippians. It's really interesting. Look at the first couple of verses of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something, just a little bit about this introduction. Paul's greeting here to the Philippians is unique. There's a standard boilerplate greeting that was, uh, that was popular and normal in the ancient Near East during that time. This is not that. The boilerplate greeting was this. You mention who it is that's writing the letter to the person receiving the letter, and then you say hi, or 
greetings to you, or whatever it looks like. This is very common practice in correspondence in this time in the ancient Near East. Actually, we even see it in Scripture in various places. You can go to Acts chapter 15, verse 23, and the elders are writing a letter. Here's how it goes. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. There it is. In fact, you go later on to Acts 23, and there's another bit of correspondence there in verse 26, and it says this, Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. There it is. I'm writing this to you. Hello. And, and Paul just does something really remarkable. He breaks with custom, and he uses these greetings to make a theological point. And he's making a unique theological point in Philippians chapter 1 here. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to God's holy people in Christ. It's not just who he is, it's who he is and, and who they are. Now, there are two other letters where Paul refers to himself, at least, as a slave or a servant. It's the same word, really. There are two other places in Romans chapter 1 and in Titus chapter 1. Paul starts out this way and he describes himself as servant of the Lord, but he goes on a step further and he also describes his apostleship. I'm a servant, but I also have authority. I'm a servant to the Lord, but I've got something to say to you. And I say it as an apostle. In Philippians 1, he doesn't go there. He just simply says this, crisp and clean and as simple as possible, I belong to God. In fact, Timothy and I were slaves. We are slaves of the living Lord. That's it. It's all he says. It's the most critical thing for us to know and understand. The only position that Paul claims for himself in Timothy is the office of slave of Christ. So, in the preface to the prayer for discernment, Paul wants himself perhaps to know, as even as he writes the word, to be reminded of it, and then to know that there must be a clear acknowledgement of who we are if we're to expect to have the ability to discern what is best. We need to know who we are. You know, when my uh, daughters were younger, you know, kind of the high school, middle school, high school age, there would be these uh, moments of great consternation in their relationship with boys where the word, the DTR would come out. Do you know what DTR is? Yeah. If you've got teenagers, you know what DTR is. Define the relationship. You know, all of the turmoil and all the, what's going on here and who are we? Are we dating? Aren't we dating? And so my kids would say once in a while they had to have a DTR re, uh, uh, conversation to define what the relationship is like. This is Paul's DTR conversation. This is our relationship with God. He's king, he's lord, he's master, and us, we're his slaves. Now, now, it's just so hard to even get our heads around this, isn't it? As Americans, you know, freedom and, and independence and self-expression. I mean, it's almost like we've bathed those things in theology so that it seems like that's what it is. And you know what Paul does here is he takes it out and says, soak in this friends. We're slaves. That's our calling. 
That's the definition of the relationship. And the Greeks would understand this. There's actually twofold meaning uh, embedded in this. But the, the first and the most powerful is what everyone would have read into this. They, know, they knew what slaves were. They were people that were owned by and subservient to the master of the home. Who gets the last word? The master always does. Who directs what goes on? The master always does. Who do the resources belong to? They belong to the master and they're available to the servants as necessary to accomplish the tasks. They were not free people, but instead they belonged to another person. And that's what Paul says. I, I am not free in this regard. I belong to God. I am his and this really sets the stage for God who speaks to us. A master wants his slaves to know exactly what's important to do. You say, I don't think that God's going to talk to me. Are you kidding? You're a slave. You have access to his stuff. He has a role and a calling for you. <laughs> of course he's going to talk to you. Of course he's going to help you to discern what is best. Because... He's the master, and I am his slave. So that's what we know. I am owned, and everything I have belongs to him. Now, there's a counterpart to this, servants of the Lord, and we actually see it in some of the ways it's used in the Old Testament. We see it used to describe Moses and used to describe Joshua, I'm sure it's in other places as well too, where they're described as servants of the Lord. And there's a sense of honor and goodness in it too. I mean, it is a, it is a noble thing to be regarded as a slave to the Lord. And there was a sense of gratitude that Moses was expressing and Joshua was expressing. You see, this isn't, just, this isn't bad news. There's something that is just so good about this, that we get to be slaves of the Lord. So what does this mean? This, I, I want to make um, uh, uh, two points here, all surrounding a decision. It means you and I will make a decision. And here's the good news, is that we don't have to make decisions day to day. We don't have to open God's word and look at what it says and say, hmm, what do I think about this? And what am I going to do? Am I going to say yes or no to this? You see, we don't have to do that every day. We, we make one decision. And the one decision is this. To give my life, my life, every part of who I am to the one who owns me. And then it's not a question of, well, whether I'm going to do this or not. It's what does it look like to do it? Because the question's already been answered. I'm a slave. He's got the first word and the final word. The answer is yes. The only question is how? I don't have to make multiple decisions. I've made one. And it is to say yes to whatever it is that God tells me what to do. And this saying yes to God, this focus on God is the first and final voice in our lives, is throughout Scripture. We see it in Psalm 121, which we read earlier this morning. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. 
And there's some question as far as what the mountains refer to, either as a safe place in the midst of danger. Some translations have hills, and you go to elevation and you're safe there. There are other places where there were holy sites, idol worship sites, where people would go up under a tree on a hill and worship or seek out some pagan gods. We're not sure exactly what the psalmist is referring to here, but we know what he's decided not to do. I'm not going to listen to, I'm not going to look to anybody else, anything else, anyone else for what it is I do. The problem with this is there are so many options available to us. You can look to the person who's got more knowledge than you do. You know, a person says, you better listen to me. I've been here before, and I understand, and I know what's going on. You listen to me. I know more than you do. And there's something pretty compelling about that. There are the people who will say, you listen to me because I'm your dad. <laughs> I used to say to my kids, I'm the papa. Guess what that means? You know, or you can say, no, I'm your best friend. You're going to listen to me, aren't you? Or the people that might, might say to you, you know, the reason, the reason why you should listen to me is look at all the personal success I've had. Listen to me. And so there are many, so many voices out there. And it's not that there's not value in looking at people who've had more experience that you've had, who've experienced success, or who have a relationship in your life. It's not that that isn't of value, but the psalmist says, you know what? At the end of the day, first and foremost, I don't look to the mountains. My eyes, my eyes are fixed on the one who is maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It means this. And here are the two decisions, two reasons to listen to the Lord. The first is because he's the Lord. I listen to the Lord because he's the Lord. I am his servant. He is my master. The last word is his. And you can actually do a quick assessment of whether you're actually doing that or not right now. If God spoke to you, would you listen to him? We're asking God to speak to us during these eight weeks. And the question is, is, well, when I hear his voice, will I listen to him? You, you actually already know that. You can look back at some of the other things that you know that God has called you to do, and you can determine whether your posture is that of servant and slave or not. How am I operating right now? You know, one of the ways I know whether I'm the servant and he's the master one of the ways I know is this time of year, I look at my 1040 and calculate the numbers. And then I know, am I a slave of God or am I managing my life my own way? Because God said some specific things about the way I use my resources. And I actually, in order to help the IRS out, get to calculate that. You see, I can actually... I can actually discover it. And we can all do the same thing. You know, here's the question. What do you know that God wants you to do right now? Might fall in the category of anger or forgiveness or compassion or respect or money or whatever it is. What do you know that God wants you to do right now? Are you doing it? You see, if I've said... And we all have if we've given our life to Christ. It's all yours. Then I listen and I obey 
because he's Lord. It's just, it's just as simple as that. You know, I think there's this possibility of saying, you know, I'm convinced God doesn't speak. I'm, I just, I'm just convinced that God doesn't speak. But the reality, closer to the truth, it may be this. You know what? If he did speak, I'm not sure I would listen. The issue isn't, is that, isn't that he, he doesn't or won't speak. The issue is, is how I've chosen to regard him. Who I am and who he is. I will listen to the Lord because he's Lord. And then there's a second part of this. I will listen to the Lord because he's worthy of my trust. And right here in the middle of Psalm 121, the writer says, I will lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where's my help come from? It doesn't come from the mountains. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then it goes on verse after verse to describe this wondrous God who protects, who gives, who guides, who cares. You get to verse 7 and it says, He will watch over your life. Belonging to Christ means my life will be protected by Christ. Being a slave of the Lord means he will watch over my life. So that's why I will listen to the Lord. I'll listen to the Lord because he's Lord. And I will listen to the Lord because he's worthy of my trust. The first decision we have to make in order to come to that place where we are able to discern what is best is to put ourselves in the place we belong. I'm going to ask you to do two things as we wrap this up and we move to communion. The first is this. I would like you to do an assessment of your life. You know, all of the stuff that defines who you are. You know, maybe your career, it might be your time, your resources, your relationships, your hobbies, the organizations that are part of it. Just list who you are. You know, it, it's who you are, really. And then next to each one of those, just do, an, do some analysis and says, hey, does this belong to the Lord? Does that belong to the Lord? Am I, am I a slave of the Lord in, in this category of my life, and in this category of my life, and in this category of my life? Take some time and to be able to make assessment. And for purposes of encouragement, look at some of those areas and say, yes, I, I have actually lived this out. I just did my taxes. And the answer is, yes, I'm a slave of the Lord in regards to how I use my resources. And then go through what's happening in my business, what's happening in my relationships, what's happening, you know, am I, am I, am I what about some of the key relationships in my life with my spouse or with a sibling or with a close friend? And you say, you know what? Yeah. I mean, we had this big conflict going on and we got together and we confessed our sins to each other and we forgave one another. And the answer is, yes, God's in charge of my life in that area. But to just do an assessment, is it true that he's Lord of your life? And you know, there's probably some areas where you say, oh, I, I forgot about that. Oh, I missed that. Not where I want to be. And to be able to take some time this week and just do an assessment and then affirm again, say, God, you are Lord of all of this. And I want you to show me what it means to say yes to belonging to you. To, to do that because it's the path towards being able to discern what is best.
And we'll get into them much more later on. But there, I said there were two things. That's the first thing. On top, of the, on top of that list, by the way, I would just encourage you to take those six words. Able to discern what is best. Put those six words on the top of the list. Uh, just so you know where you're going with it. And then the second thing is this. To make final preparations for your small group experience. And we've talked about this and how critical it is. In fact, in USA Today, an inside article of that very same issue that came out this weekend, it was describing people who experienced success in the resolutions. You know, one of the key reasons why people experience success is because they do it with other people. It's how it happens. You join together with people who have the same resolve and you encourage each other and you support each other along the way. It just makes sense to be able to do it. It's God's, it's God's idea for us to be able to gather together and encourage one another along the way. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Make final preparations for your small group experience. We're going we're gonna, uh, to uh, mention the second uh, uh, key commitment next Sunday. And after that, we're kicking off small groups. And we've got some things to, for you to study in the Bible. We've got some uh, tasks for you to do together, some things for you to share with one another along the way. Uh, we're ready to go, uh, and we want you to be ready to go, kicking off next Sunday and then going for seven or eight, eight weeks, depending on how you, how, you construe it, uh, how you configure it along the way. So that's my goal for you. And I, I said this in first service last week. I didn't say it in second service, and I know people switch services and come and go, but, you know, I just feel like I, I get to be your senior pastor, for, for many of you, some of you are just visiting and some of you aren't sure of me yet. I, mean, it's been, I think it's been 13 years now. <laughs> Maybe it's legit. I get to be your senior pastor. And there are times when um, uh, that role is a role to say to people, do this. Um, and I feel that strongly about this one. Uh, I, 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 just, I just implore you to get in a group with someone and walk through this because it is such a critical piece of what it means for us to walk into the life that God has for us along the way. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the hope that is found in a prayer like this that Paul prayed for the Philippians. And God, we want it for ourselves as well too, Lord. So help us to know what it means for us to follow you, encourage us along the way, and connect us with others that will help us too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.